millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 11 of the World Soccer Talk podcast, we reveal which legendary commentator has left at ESPN. Uh, also, the fascinating results from a survey that paints a picture of how soccer fans in the U.S. watch soccer. And also, the latest TV viewing numbers from the Premier League, Liga MX, and Bundesliga, and much, much more. My name is Christopher Harris, uh, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined here today by Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you, Chris. Okay, so let, let's dive right into uh, the first segment. Okay, so the first segment is what we've been watching. And Kartik, um, let me start off by kind of what I've been watching this past week. And uh, feel free to jump in, too, if, uh, if you saw any of this uh, or have any uh, perspective. The first match was last Friday, which was the Freiburg against uh, Bayern Munich game on Fox Sports 1. It was the uh, return of the Bundesliga after the winter break. And this one was uh, interesting to watch uh, for TV viewers. Uh, it was Kate Abdo's uh, Bundesliga, uh, basically, debut on Fox Sports. And uh, it was a weird dynamic because we had uh, the previous host of the Bundesliga, Ian Joy, and he was uh, put in the role of analyst alongside uh, Eric Winalda, and then he had Kate hosting. Uh, it went well, uh, no complaints, but it was strange kind of seeing Ian in, in that role and um, at times it sounded like he was kind of uh, almost playing the role of a host, even though I don't think he was meaning to. But it's probably going to take a little bit of time to kind of uh, get him kind of used to being in that analyst role, which, of course, he did at BN Sports uh, quite often. Uh, but it was just an interesting dynamic. And I guess, I guess now we know what's going to happen to Ian Joy. Um, maybe he'll be kind of brought in on some of the, the presenting um, responsibilities at Fox Sports. But more than likely, it looks like he's going to be now put in the role of an analyst. So we shall see how that changes over the, the coming days or weeks. Uh, of course, this weekend, we've got the FA Cup coming up. Uh, we've got the Champions League coming up in, in well, a few weeks from now. But it'll be interesting to see if uh, Ian Joyce gets pulled into some of those as an analyst and then what happens to kind of the, the talent makeup uh, on the Fox Sports uh, studio set. Um, but what do you think, Kartik, in terms of that dynamic? Do you think that could work? It could work. But, I, I mean, again, I think that there's um, there's just other questions with Fox as far as production and the way the intro and outro segments uh, that is not necessarily controlled by the presenter that 
uh, remain uh, challenging for them to, to uh, overcome to convince core soccer fans that they're doing a good job with the product. Uh, however, this is uh, an interesting dynamic. Ian Joy has a lot to contribute as a studio analyst and as someone who knows the Bundesliga well and, and when you get into the FA Cup knows uh, British soccer as a whole very well. So that would be uh, quite interesting. It also, I guess, frees up Ian Joy's schedule uh, when MLS season rolls around as he does uh, do commentary for New York City FC as well mm -hmm. for their local broadcasts. Well, one other thing to mention about the, this Freiburg against Bayern Munich game was that um, Fox Sports is starting to actually read questions on air from Twitter. And that was nice to see. So you had uh, Kate, uh, Eric, and Ian Joy answering questions from, on air, uh, including one of our listeners, uh, RBO, uh, who's uh, quite uh, active on Twitter. So it was great to see some of uh, those questions coming in and, and uh, th them answering them on the fly. That was a nice kind of interactive touch there. Uh, for me, Kartik, then, uh, that was Friday, Saturday was highlighted by a rare victory. This was a, sh a shock to me. I, I was completely flabbergasted. Uh, Liverpool uh, to Swansea 3. And uh, not much to add from, from a soccer viewing perspective in terms of soccer media, but uh, what a match. And it really kind of restored my faith in the team and uh, restored my faith actually in Paul Clement, uh, who I thought uh, didn't get that, that new manager bounce. Uh, Swansea played Hull City in the first match under his uh, guidance uh, and they lost that one in the FA Cup and then they lost the, the next game against uh, Arsenal and looked absolutely horrible so uh, great victory great game to watch and um, bad news for Liverpool but uh, I definitely enjoyed watching that one and then Kartik the, I've been watching a lot of the Africa Cup of Nations and um, basically kind of like one or two games a day. And, uh, and as I said last week too, I've been really enjoying watching the coverage. Uh, the matches have been uh, more open and entertaining in the last few, more goals being scored as we kind of see which teams advance to the, the quarterfinal stages. And um, we had a question actually from one of our listeners on Twitter. Uh, it's one of our uh, listeners named uh, Chris Lodato. And uh, he asks, who's the great announcer? And for those who have watched the Africa Cup of Nations on BN Sports or haven't, um, there's a really good announcer on there, uh, the one that's on there most of the time. And uh, let me see if I can play an audio clip here of him to see if uh, anyone recognizes his voice. And there you go. So that was the uh, the one that uh, the Morocco Ivory Coast game with uh, Ivory Coast getting knocked out of the tournament, the, the reigning champion, which was a, a big upset. But uh, if there's any listeners out there who know who that is, please let us know either through Twitter uh, or through email. We'll give out the addresses later. But I, I've enjoyed the commentary, Kartik, just as much as I've enjoyed the games. And uh, it's been a fun tournament. And uh, this weekend, um, all the games are going to be on uh, BN Sports or BN Sports Connect on, I think, two on Saturday and two on Sunday. And for anyone who's interested, uh, any of the listeners, I definitely would recommend tuning in. Uh, been great at atmosphere, great tournament. And, uh, and now we get down to the... Uh, the final, four, um, well, actually, the final four teams, I believe it is. Or, or uh, anyway, the, fi the, fi the final bunch of teams, and it's been really entertaining to watch. 
And then Karthik, uh, last but not least, um, yesterday I watched the Liverpool against Southampton game, uh, the EFL Cup semi-final, second leg, and uh, we had Gary Bailey and Kay Murray uh, doing the pre-match. And um, the game itself was actually kind of one of those games where I couldn't believe that Southampton didn't score. They had about two or three just clear-cut chances. And I couldn't believe that Liverpool didn't score. They had about the same number of chances. Uh, Daniel Sturridge especially had some golden opportunities to score. So the match was going into kind of the last 10 minutes, uh, still at nil-nil. And then Liverpool was pushing, pushing, pushing. Southampton did really well in terms of parking the bus. I mean, they had um, basically nine to ten defenders in the box at all times. And Liverpool found it really difficult to break down. And, uh, it, but it was an exciting end to the match. I mean, Southampton on the counter uh, scored a goal and, uh, and uh, also got, got another late one and, and wrapped it all up. Uh, but uh, I enjoyed watching the match. Great commentary by Peter Drury and Southampton. Uh, shocker goes on now to the uh, the League Cup final, um, which is I think February 26, which will be on B in Sports, and we'll play the winner of uh, today's Manchester United uh, versus Hull City. So uh, I I enjoy it, and, and I think we've talked about this in the past before, Kartik. But uh, to me personally, I enjoy the League Cup uh, more than the FA Cup, which I know for some listeners that's probably sacrilegious, but I just do. I think it's it's a really entertaining uh, tournament, and uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I think uh, Liverpool is really struggling currently. And uh, I had been concerned and took a lot of abuse on Twitter about a month ago for, for saying uh, that if there was a team that was likely to fall out of the top four, it was them because Manchester United was coming on strong at, at the time. And, and I also felt like at the t- and Spurs were out of the top four at the time that I had picked Spurs to finish first or second in the league, depending on who, which pro- projector I did before the season. I mean, I was very high on Tottenham. And um, I had felt like, okay, they're beginning to get their groove. And I've been correct about that. So now they've shot up the second, or they're now third in the table. But I I think uh, their trajectory will have them probably overtake Arsenal unless um, they fall off. But uh, they're almost certain to finish in the top four the way they're playing Spurs. So someone was going to fall out of the top four, maybe two teams. And if if two teams fell out, it was logically going to be Manchester City and Liverpool, in my opinion, and it's still looking like that's going to be the case. Uh, even though Liverpool valiantly was uh, sitting second for a long time, I think it might have even been top of the table for uh, uh, for a few weeks in, in October and early November. Uh, but um, it, it seems like Jurgen Klopp doesn't quite have the depth and uh, with this side. And since Saido Mane went to the Cup of African Nations, yeah. um, you look at how they've struggled. So, uh, very, some very alarming signs for Liverpool. There is time to correct it, um, but uh, uh, they have been eliminated from uh, a cup competition. And, and uh, the, the other thing to note about this match is, and we all love Jurgen Klopp, but Klopp is now developing a reputation of, of a manager that loses to big games. And that's not necessarily something you want. Uh, then again, the clubs that he manages have a disproportionate number of big games compared to the, to, to the managers that preceded him or succeeded him at Borussia Dortmund uh, and at Mainz, and then now oh, it was Tuchel in both places, and then now at Liverpool, um, far more big games, uh, chances to win cup competitions than under Brendan Rodgers or, or Teddy Daglish or uh, even, uh, well, I, I don't want to say under Rafa Benitez. Obviously, the first few years under Benitez, uh, Liverpool was uh, won an FA Cup and was going deep in Europe every single season. I think that's 
that's forgotten about often now right, with hindsight when we talk about the Benitez era at Liverpool because we look at league finishes, right? Mm -hmm. Our focus has shifted towards the Premier League and we see they were fourth, fifth, fourth. But every year, I, I want to say they made the Champions League semifinals each of Benitez's first four years. That might be inaccurate, but I think they did. Yeah, full, full credit to Southampton, though, for this one, too, because I mean, in terms of the game plan and how they set up the team in, in both legs, really, but especially in the second leg um, and defended very, t I mean, in terms of that kind of the formation in the back, in terms of uh, giving Liverpool very little space. And um, it was one of those matches that, that uh, Southampton could have won this one probably 3 nothing uh, at, at the end of the day. And uh, if it wasn't for Liverpool's uh, goalkeeper making a great save. But, uh, but Liverpool, in that match against Swansea, I was actually really surprised by how Liverpool didn't press as hard as they usually did and kind of let Swansea play and let them play with the ball uh, and get pretty good possession. But, um, but I think it looks... I mean, Sado, Sado Mane is definitely, I mean, the biggest difference in terms of that. But also Sturridge. I think Sturridge, you mean, will do a few nice touches... But then we'll let us well let, let the viewers down with with kind of a shot on goal or just his last touch or so I think it's also a little bit of timing too where you're not getting storage at his best. He, he he had the assist to win the game at Goodison uh, against uh, Everton in, in the Merseyside derby and that was a a, a great nice setup after on for Origi about uh, eight minutes earlier. But uh, I'm finding storage because he's having limited opportunities compared to the past and he's always facing injuries. I'm finding him to become becoming an increasingly selfish player. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that's uh, something that I think Jurgen Klopp needs to address. Shooting from distance, um, too many trying to dribble through traffic. Uh, and I, I would actually make the same uh, a commentary about uh, Sergio Aguero on uh, Manchester City, where I think he's becoming a more and more selfish player who really doesn't fit Pep Guardiola's um, uh, pass, pass, pass kind of pass and move uh, setup. And then uh, if you're going to dribble you dribble when you're in space or one-on-one -on -one with the keeper the way uh, Sterling does. Sterling seems to understand that better. Um, you know, maybe Sterling should take diving lessons. <laughs> right? that's, a, uh, <laughs> that's a big co controversy this week. But, um, yeah, so I, I think that's the situation with, uh, with Sturridge. Anyway, what I watched this week, I, I actually watched, the uh, speaking of the Bundesliga, the Leverkusen-Hertha Berlin game. Um, the, the lineup of uh, uh, Sunday morning wasn't very appetizing to me. Um, Liverpool, uh, excuse me, Leicester, the, the rain got uh, uh, just absolutely shelled by Southampton. And it was good to see Southampton turn things around because they've had a, they've had a difficult last couple of weeks. For Claude Puel, uh, some injuries. Uh, since Charlie Austin got hurt, they just haven't been the same team. And uh, Southampton being Southampton, they're not uh, buying a replacement. They're more likely to sell whoever the replacement would be. It would be Shane Long in this case, right? Mm -hmm. So Puel's had to make do without his 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 primary goal scoring threat. Uh, but it seems like with the League Cup and with uh, the Leicester game, they're stabilizing. Leverkusen Hertha was an excellent game. Uh, finally, saw Chicharito contribute, even though he didn't score. But he had a he had a nice uh, a bit of play on the third goal for for Leverkusen in this game. Um, kept an eye on. On the Leipzig game against Eintracht Frankfurt, was wondering coming out of the winter break, considering how uh, poorly Leipzig did in that final match at Bayern, the, the, what was being built at the time is the biggest game uh, in European club football this season, uh, or at least for the second half of uh, 2016. Uh, if there was going to be a, a massive hangover, they come in, they get they get fortunate in, in, in a, with a sending off, um, 
in the first half, but they they did the business and they looked very good. So watch that. Um, hey, hey Carl, so I, and I missed that game. I didn't see that one. But was Kate Abdo in the studio on that one too? Well, she was in the studio, but um, they were doing kind of a traditional Fox thing, Fox soccer thing, which was she was providing the John Hurts or Christian Miles intros and outros and, and kind of voiceovers, but there was no... No there was no studio analysis. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. But right. she was hosting. She was present. But um, but that was um, how they how they handled Sunday. Um, I, I watched uh, obviously uh, the uh, the Manchester City Spurs match on NBC, and uh, uh, we'll get into this in a minute. But the the talking point from that game became officiating and became Raheem Sterling's unwillingness to die, which became uh, I think the topic of conversation for three days straight on the ESPN FC program. Mm-hmm. And uh, Craig Burley saying that uh, Craig Burley and Steve Nichols saying that they they really respect Sterling for trying to finish the playoff. That's your instinct. Uh, Nickel explained that if you're a winger and you get in that position, you, strikers sometimes their instinct is to die. If you're a winger like Sterling is and you get into space like that, um, your instinct is to try and because uh, you don't get that opportunity that often one on one with the keeper to try and stay on your feet, use your pace to get around the keeper. But of course. Um, it was a clear foul, right, at sending off by Walker. Uh, Burley agreed. Uh, Alejandro Moreno said, you have to know the situation and just go down. You have to, con- you have to uh, sell the referee. It's not even conning the referee because you have been fouled. You have been impeded. You're not going um, you're, you're to get your pace back up to round Lloris and score in that situation. So um, even if you, and you may not even get your touch back on the ball. So that was the, the, the discussion there. Um, I think what is really interesting, though, then, is that it's then led into a discussion about the Premier League versus other European leagues. It seems like, um, as Burley and Moreno were arguing and, 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 and Hislop uh, on one of the other days, that the, the standard of officiating in the Premier League is so poor now that it is ruining the competition and ruining the enjoyment of the competition vis-a-vis other European leagues, where there are controversial officiating calls, particularly in Spain this year. There have been some bad calls in, in, in games in La Liga, but that uh, it seems like every week we're discussing this in the Premier League, and every week it's in a big game. And uh, uh, Burnley-Arsenal, uh, same thing, right? Burnley has bo- Both matches Burnley lost to Arsenal this season were, were decided on terrible calls, quite frankly, that went against Burnley. Yeah. Um, there might be a, a, an alternate table out there. I think Chelsea wins the league regardless, but there might be an alternate table from 2 through 20 that's radically different than the real table. And I have always argued through the years, Chris, that officiating errors even themselves out over 38 matches. I began to hedge on that last season when West Ham United had a run of three straight matches when they were chasing the top four, where there were strange calls that went against them in each game. They drew each of those three matches, um, and I think they, they, brought, they might get to fourth if it hadn't been for those calls. I know they finished seventh, uh, but you, you have to think about the psychology after you have those bad breaks. Same thing with Spurs. Uh, people say, well, Spurs finished behind Arsenal last year, but they actually pushed the title higher, uh, pushed Leicester much harder than Arsenal did. They just ended up third because after the psychology of that Chelsea defeat, uh, they, they mailed it in. But um, this is a real real problem for the Premier League, and we talk about it being the top TV league in the world. Mm-hmm. Do viewers begin to feel um, cheated out of an experience and shift to other leagues long-term, or do they um, 
say this is part of the experience. This is part of the entertainment factor of the Premier League, all these bad calls and all the controversy, because it gives us something to talk about, for sure. We're talking about Sterling all week. It's a and Kyle Walker all week, who yeah. committed the foul. It's, it's a challenge because, in many ways, actually, the Premier League's probably um, produced and televised better than most leagues or any leagues around the world. So you're more than likely to get more different uh, camera angles. So if there is a, a mistake by the referee, it's probably better or more likely that, that you're going to actually be able to see it and pinpoint it in slow-mo and all, all the, the technology to actually to show that, that the referee was made a poor decision um, in, in the scheme of things. Um, other leagues, probably fewer cameras at matches, probably less TV replays. I mean, yeah, and yes, other referees in other leagues make mistakes too. But in some ways, I think it's like the Premier League gets um, blamed for a, for basically having su- such great te- television coverage that they can pinpoint referees' mistakes more often or, or uh, more clearly. Uh, it's a tricky one, though, Carter, because even in the Swansea... Arsenal game from a couple of weeks ago, uh, Ki Sung Young was in the box. He got tripped by an Arsenal defender and decided, because there was contact, decided to fall into, into the box and dived. Right. He didn't get the, the penalty kick. He got a yellow card. So, but to me, at least, so if he st- stayed on his feet, he probably wouldn't have got into a scoring opportunity. So it's kind of that split decision within the, kind of a split-second split decision for, for a player. Do I dive or do I stay on my feet? And um, it's difficult because it's not consistent from the refereeing point of view. So I would say that nine times out of ten, Ki Sung Young uh, diving in the box would have got, got the penalty kick. In this particular instance, he didn't, and he got a yellow card, and Swansea suffered, and they, they went on to lose the match. Uh, the Sterling one was blatantly a foul, uh, and kind of Kyle Walker in the post-match interview kind of said, "Yeah, well, I just had to, you know, I just had to do what I had to do to kind of throw him off his game, and it well, worked." Well, I think at that point, I think at that point, you're in the 75th minute. Uh, you're down two to one. If you're Kyle Walker, you take that chance. You take the sending off. Yeah. Uh, Manchester City, by the way, I don't know if this factored in his mind in split second decision. Manchester City has a wretched record of missing penalties this season. So uh, particularly when Aguero takes them. So uh, or De Bruyne, both have been missing penalties pretty regularly. So although I think now uh, Pep is having to, uh, Yaya take them, so maybe he would have made it. But still, there's a uh, you could be down to ten men, but you're, you're still two one. You take that sh- chance at that point. Um, and um, he took the chance and got away with it, actually. Yeah, it's, it's a tough one. It's, it's, and it's a tough one for the referees because, I mean, if in uh, kind of live action play, um, if we, if we didn't, get, didn't have the advantage of having TV replays, that we, we would probably think oftentimes the referee made the right decision. It's only on the TV replays that we see kind of like all the different angles and go, yeah, the referee got it wrong. So in many ways, the league is setting up, uh, or the Football Association is setting up the referees to fail because we have the technology. We, as the viewers, see these blatant fouls that the referees miss, but all they see is what they see with their own eyes, uh, as well as their kind of assistant referees. It's, it's a challenge, and it's one of those things that um, we saw, I think, this past week. I think the Bundesliga is planning on uh, adding a, a video assistant referee I believe for next season. So technology is slowly but surely coming into the game, and uh, I think it will improve things. Um, but it's going to be kind of a slow and gradual kind of uh, evolution to that. It's not going to be a dramatic overnight where we can all we can fix all all the mistakes. 
but um, but it, it is an interesting thing. And in that match too, the Man City against Spurs game, City was robbed. I mean, that should have been three points, and uh, Guardiola was upset uh, for, for good reason. And uh, that that game could change the um, complexion of, of, of an entire season in terms of you know, if City had won that match, maybe they could go on a run and, and uh, maybe not win the title, but at least. Uh, you mean definitely kind of uh, solidify top four and, and go on and do bigger and better things. But Yeah, that's certainly the case, although I, I also have to laud uh, Spurs' fight back. I mean, they played they played very poorly in the first half. Uh, they were completely out, outplayed, and uh, they have a resilience and a resourcefulness this season that is not very Spursy, to use the term. Right. Um, and, you know, you have to look at, at this now in terms of, of football. There are very few clubs that have uh, a manager who is creating an identity in a club and building a club around his own uh, style and his own uh, philosophy. Uh, Pochettino, uh, along with Diego Simeone, may have been the only, maybe the only two managers who've been afforded that opportunity at, at, at large clubs in Europe. And uh, Simeone, I mean, I was I was explaining to uh, even though Atleti's not having the best season this season, I was explaining to someone the other day about how uh, tactically rigid Simeone's side is, and how it's one thing to concede possession, but it's another thing to have a plan that you've drilled in when you don't have the ball, right? And I think the two teams in Europe that do that best are Atleti and, and Spurs in different ways, right? And, um, and, and Atleti has their own version of a press, although that often is, is uh, they press in wide areas and, and fall back into, into uh, the, the center of the pitch. But um, it's one of these things where, uh, and I'd love to see some sort of analysis or documentary about this. This is an idea for NBC. Um, the Premier League now has become a league with uh, managers who kind of cycle in and cycle out, um, with the exception of Wenger. It would be interesting to see an analysis of the long-term ramifications of having managers like Mourinho who come in and come out and don't have a, a particular playing style and are just very pragmatic to get uh, results at the short, uh, on a short-term basis, and those like Pochettino who implement a style uh, that the club implements from their U15s or whatever on up. Um, and, and perhaps Klopp is doing that at Liverpool. I'm not sure, but I, I just felt like I should say a word lauding Spurs because they're, they're, they're definitely, we like to make jokes about Spurs and they're an easy punchline through the years. And I'm sure something will happen the rest of the season and we'll say, oh, that's so Spursy of them. But it's, uh, they are a big club now and they are a big club because of their manager. And um, that's, uh, that's something to really um, uh, celebrate. And, and with Spurs too, I mean, looking ahead and looking at uh, the new stadium that's coming along, along nicely, uh, as well as their playing style. I mean, defensively right now, they've been hit with a couple of injuries, which is going to set them back. But they're, they're a solid team. They're a team that I think opposition fears. Uh, but off the pitch, though, too, this is a, cr- a club that's growing. And uh, I think once that new stadium comes into place, um, they can build on that and, and really kind of um, progress and, and, and become a much uh, more powerful team than they are today. But, uh, yeah, definitely some th- uh, exciting things to look forward to. So, so Karthik, any, anything else this, from this past week that uh, you had a chance to watch that uh, you wanted to point out to our, our listeners? It's just that Sebastian Salazar, who moved from uh, NBC to uh, ESPN, got a couple days, day run of hosting ESPN FC, and he, uh, he was very good, uh, very well 
up on European football. That was a criticism of him when he was at NBC and he filled in for Rebecca Lois that he didn't really know the Premier League. He's an MLS guy. Uh, but he, uh, he did quite well and um, tried to mimic, in some ways, Dan Thomas's aggressive questioning style. Couldn't pull it off quite as well, but was not... Um, wouldn't let the wouldn't just ask a question and let the analyst filibuster for two minutes. I mean, he was pushing buttons and and I like that because that that fits the style of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and Adrian he filled in one day as he often does, and he does the same thing. Um, when Alexis Nunez when she fills in, she does the same thing. So they've got a real kind of chemistry and feel to that program that I quite like. And and again, um, this has been a constant theme since we started this show, Chris. But it's so often that I end up waiting for ESPN FD to come on get Premier League analysis. And this show was no different. Uh, Salazar was hosting, had uh, uh, Nickel and, and Moreno on, and to talk about the, the officiating calls and the bur- and he also that we're not always getting from NBC. So uh, they complement each other nicely. It's not to knock NBC, but again, maybe NBC needs to enhance their coverage by mixing in another analyst. And it could be a uh, history. It could be Burley. Those would be my two, two most likely candidates because they both played so, for so long in the Premier League. Uh, by the way, I, I watched a, um, I've always watched the Ian Dark, um, Steve McManaman coverage of the, um, of the uh, or call of the Man City QPR game in 2012, right? Because that's what we got in the U.S. on ESPN2. Yep. Or on ESPN, sorry. Um, I believe that game was on regular ESPN. The, 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 uh, the famous Aguero goal. I've watched for the first time, I believe, maybe I saw it at the time, the Peter Drury, Craig Burley call. Burley was the uh, hmm. match analyst that day, and it was fantastic. Uh, I wouldn't say it was any better or any worse than Maca and, uh, and and Dark, but it was nice to hear that call. And, and I'm a big fan of Peter Drury. So, um, and John Champion was calling the Manchester United match at Sunderland at the same time. Now that that was the feed we did get on American television because yep. it was Fox, and Fox never used their own announcers. But ESPN used their own announcers back in the day when those were the two um, uh, rights carriers for the Premier League in this country. I know so many of our listeners started watching the Premier League when NBC started showing the leaks. I'm walking through this mm-hmm. uh, in more detail than I normally would. Uh, but uh, So the champion call I had heard, and champion stayed on the air while that happened, but the champion call mixed with the Drury Maca, uh, sorry, Drury Burley call was fantastic. I had never ex- uh, had that uh, before until a couple of days ago. It showed up somewhere on YouTube or uh, some place I was uh, browsing. For a lot of our listeners, too, uh, we missed out, for those of us in the U.S., we missed out on the Martin Tyler call for that goal. Uh, and, and anyone who watches uh, U.K. television or sees clips from U.K. television, here's the Martin Tyler call, which was uh, sensational for that, for that Aguero goal, which is you kind of hear almost, almost weekly, I think, uh, in a lot of the Sky Sports promos. <laughs> I had wondered where the Aguero came from yep. because Dark didn't do that and Tyler didn't do it. I've seen the Tyler call. It's actually Drury's call, which I had never realized until this week. Ah, interesting. Okay, Kartik, so let's move on to the next segment, which is our TV streaming news. And uh, I'll have you kick it off in terms of what the latest news is uh, from the world of soccer media. Yeah, so uh, Nielsen has partnered with AT&T for a set top box TV ratings data. And um, this will um, give us perhaps some more Nielsen households uh, that watch soccer, that are, um, that are uh, 
how do I put it, more in the, um, in the demographic that watch the sport in this country. Uh, there have been complaints, particularly from MLS fans, more so than fans in the Premier League or other leagues in, in, in the United States, that uh, the Nielsen ratings are not capturing the actual uh, interest in, in the league. Um, I actually don't buy that because I, you know, it's very, um, it's very unscientific. But if you go to a major city uh, and you walk around, even cities with uh, MLS teams, and I'm not, I'm not talking about Orlando or Portland or Kansas City, these very um, club-centric places. But if you go to Los Angeles or New York or uh, Boston and you walk around, there's far more Liverpool shirts or uh, Barcelona shirts or Bayern Munich shirts than there are, um, and I would add even like Juventus and AC Milan in, in New York, uh, than there are shirts of the MLS teams there. And uh, maybe I get confused with Man City shirts and New York City FC shirts, but I think it's uh, um, th th this is an interesting thing. This will be uh, we will see if the rating if the if there is a change in ratings, particularly for MLS after this uh, is implemented. And the other thing too about this is that uh, with this data, if uh, Nielsen decides to use it in kind of their ratings for, for games, they're also able to look at uh, on demand. So not only um, so they'll be able to see exactly uh, looking at this AT and T, I guess Uverse, uh, it could be Directv too. Uh, looking at this data, seeing exactly what people are watching, when they're watching it, and on, on what type of devices too. So so they're looking at all of the data that, that they already pull. I mean AT and T already has this data, but then sharing it that with Nielsen and then hope, hoping that uh, whether it's MLS or or anything basically, it's. Um, more accurate uh, TV ratings in terms of what people are actually watching. I'm, I'm with you on this one, Kartik. I think it's going to probably not give us too many surprises and not change that much. Uh, but still, it'll be maybe scientifically more accurate in terms of at least AT&T. Uh, again, that, that doesn't include all the other uh, TV providers, but AT&T does own uh, DirecTV, DirecTV Now also, uh, as well as Uverse. Uh, so it, it could be interesting. And then, Kartik, um, I heard a rumor this week uh, from one of my sources that Fubo TV will launch their new product uh, next week. So we're looking at possibly Wednesday or Thursday, probably late next week. And this is the one that's going to include uh, Fox Sports, uh, the whole portfolio, which is FS1, FS2, uh, Fox, the over-the-air network, Fox Deportes, and the big one, which is Fox Soccer Plus, which will give you um, a lot of games uh, that you don't normally get uh, unless you have it, or unless you have Fox Soccer to go, as well as NBC. So NBC, uh, uh, SN, NBC Over the Air, uh, USA, CNBC, uh, gives you kind of really kind of uh, those from a soccer perspective, a really strong foundation, as well as being sports uh, and Univision and Unimas. It basic, basically, you'd get um, the most comprehensive soccer streaming package available in the United States, and that's looking like it's going to launch uh, next week. And Kartik, any other news? Yeah, so uh, Minnesota, I have to first note that Minnesota United let go of my friend Chris Lindholm, who's been doing their games for 20 years uh, in uh, USL and NASL, uh, but they made some interesting replacement hires. They, they're a team that's moving from NASL to uh, Major League Soccer this year, Minnesota United FC, and they will, by the way, we've had other teams get promoted like Orlando, Seattle, uh, Portland in the past, but they were the first team that's actually be, been able to keep their crest and colors and logo and everything in their move up. So it's the same club. Well, it's all, all those clubs are the same clubs also, but it's really got the same feel with the exception of the television broadcast. And um, 
that's going to be uh, uh, neat because Kendra Saint, uh, D. St. Alvin, uh, who's a women's player from the area, very, very well-decorated women's player, will become a color analyst or co-commentator, depending on your terminology. Uh, first one, uh, the only one among MLS um, clubs, of the 22 MLS clubs. So that's a, that's a pretty big breakthrough, and she's local, and people are very excited up there about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's uh, pretty historic news in terms of being the uh, the only female uh, TV color analyst among the, the the league's 22 clubs in Major League Soccer. So that's a great, uh, great move. Uh, and then last but not least from the TV streaming news, uh, we kind of uh, mentioned it earlier, uh, or teased it earlier, ESPN uh, has let go of Tommy Smith. So Tommy Smith, uh, Tommy Smith with a, with a Y, has been there for 24 years and um, made his farewell, uh, basically, kind of uh, appearance on ESPN FC on Wednesday. And uh, they did a 30-minute kind of uh, highlights package of some of the best of uh, Tommy Smith. Now, for newer listeners, um, many of them are new, newer fans of soccer in the U.S., uh, or abroad, uh, you may not appreciate Tommy Smith as much as uh, some of us older ones, uh, older fans. But Tommy Smith really, uh, I think since 1993, has been a staple on ESPN uh, through the press pass days, the Soccernet press pass days, uh, World Cups. But the highlight to me was really the UEFA Champions League coverage. Uh, at that time, ESPN, well, ESPN2 had the uh, coverage usually on a, on a Tuesday. You'd get one game. And if you were lucky, one game on, on a Wednesday. And it was really the partnership between Derek Ray, uh, the commentator, and then Tommy Smith, uh, the co-commentator, where they really kind of brought soccer into a lot more homes in the United States uh, outside of Fox Soccer Channel, which at that point was still kind of uh, a channel that not everyone got. ESPN2 was a different story. And uh, Tommy Smith had some really memorable uh, broadcasts, as well as his uh, famous... Uh, catchphrase, uh, putting the bulge in the old onion bag. And uh, two games in particular that stood out for me that Tommy Smith uh, co-commentated was the uh, 2005 UEFA Champions League final between Liverpool and AC Milan. One of the best games I've ever seen in my lifetime, and I've I've seen thousands of games. And and then the second game was uh, Manchester United against Bayern Munich, uh, the 1999 Champions League final. And again, another incredible game, just an, another fantastic ending to that one. And uh, those are two of my highlights. I, I, I don't know about you, Kartik, uh, if you had any highlights of yours uh, with uh, Tommy Smith. Oh, so many. I mean, the old onion bag, I think, is uh, the expression that always described him. I, I, uh, I think that there were a number of highlights with him, uh, both from Press Pass and, from, um, and um, also from Champions League coverage and even... Uh, occasionally when ESPN had other games, uh, U.S. soccer coverage, when he would be uh, mixed in, he was he was rotated in for MLS for a year or two there. Uh, and then he also uh, did uh, some Premier League stuff, uh, both at the initial time when ESPN had the Premier League rights before they went to Fox, uh, we're talking 20 years ago, and then when they got the rights back in the sub-license from Fox in 2009. Uh, he also... Uh, I think um, it, it, was, um, it was interesting to have him on after the France-Ireland controversy in 2009. That was, um, and then that was also a time when I think you saw a lot of posturing from, um, uh, from French, uh, 
football uh, people who felt embarrassed, uh, like Frank LaBeouf, who's also on ESPN regularly, saying, well, you know, this is a disgrace. Ireland should be in. And Tommy was much more objective about it. And, of course, you had Roy Keane going out saying, well, Ireland, they shouldn't be in it. They, they blew their chances earlier. And then uh, guys like Cotena, you know, who Cotena was more or less English now, you're blasting the uh, FFF. But uh, Tommy Smith had kind of nuanced position which uh, was, yeah, Ireland got robbed. Uh, this is unfortunate, but this is part of the game. And um, we can't have a 33-team World Cup. We can't have a draw with 33 teams. It's a 32-team tournament. Um, his position was very mature and nuanced compared to what was going on outside, uh, outside, even though he was, he is, of course, Irish. And he had the reputation for using a lot of hyperbole. So uh, I remember that. Actually, if I'm going to pick one moment out, how, how mature and how nuanced and how um, really spot on his position was about everything. And it was just a reasonable position on that. Because that, for those of you who weren't fans at the time, that went on for weeks, right? Yeah. Um, and I'll admit I was guilty. I was very uh, gutted that Ireland hadn't qualified. And um, I carried on for weeks and weeks about it and about yeah. how France was illegitimate and um, proceeded to root against France very, uh, very aggressively during the World Cup, feeling they shouldn't have been there. And um, but he had a very, very mature and, and, and smart position. And, and that was the uh, Thierry Henry handball that, uh, that should have been called but, but wasn't called. But, but yeah, I, I agree with you, Kartik. And that's the thing with Tommy Smith is I think a lot of listeners that are listening to this uh, right now are probably thinking like, oh, thank God he's gone. I mean, there's a lot of, there were a lot of people that didn't like him. I mean, so it, to me, he's almost like a Ray Hudson type of person. You either love Tommy Smith or you, you don't like him. Um, and because he was very much in your face um, – but he was passionate, and he is passionate, and, and he is full of life, and you can tell he loves the game. And, that, and that's the thing, though, too, is that just because he's leaving ESPN doesn't mean that's the end of his career. Uh, he's going on to Philadelphia Union, and we'll continue with them on the uh, TV broadcasts uh, with the Union for, uh, for those MLS games. And also is going to be continuing doing the Sirius XMFC, doing the Grumpy Pundits show uh, on, on the uh, satellite radio there. So he's still going to be around, but uh, I'm definitely going to miss seeing him on ESPN. Um, but after 24 years, I mean, to me, he's a part of U.S. soccer history. I mean, if you look at soccer history on television and look at some of the key players, some of the people that really uh, got people into the sport. I mean, he was on, um, he's been on, you know, oh gosh, what's, what's the guy on PBS, Kartik? Do you remember the guy that's on Late Night TV? Charlie Rose. Uh, Charlie Rose. Yes. He was on the Charlie Rose show, I think a few times actually. He was interviewed um, during World Cups and was really kind of talking about uh, soccer yeah, and what it was. Charlie Rose has taken, I think, some sort of interest in soccer as part of a global political thing because he's basically a political guy uh, because he's had Sir Alex on a few times yeah. also. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. That I think Tommy Smith probably on that level is influencing new fans or people within the business, or within the TV business and kind of getting them to better understand what this sport's all about. And uh, uh, we've talked about kind of gateway uh, kind of drugs in a way. I think Tommy Smith was a, gate, a great gateway person to kind of get people excited uh, about soccer and start watching it. And, and we saw on Twitter last night, we posted a story about uh, on worldsoccertalk.com about Tommy Smith leaving ESPN. And there was a lot of reaction on, uh, on Twitter uh, some negative, but the vast majority positive in terms of kind of just uh, thanking him for being such an influence uh, on on them in terms of uh, helping them become a soccer fan or helping them get into the sport. And those ESPN broadcasts, ESPN2 broadcasts, um, 
from roughly the late 90s, early 2000s uh, were, were transformative, and, and, and he was a large part of that. So, Kartik, let's move on to the next segment, which is TV ratings, and uh, I'll go through a couple, and I'll, I'll let you go through a couple too, and we'll get through these. Uh, the first one is last Saturday's match between Manchester City and Tottenham Hotspur on NBC Sports, uh, NBC over-the-air network, uh, posted 1.16 million viewers. Uh, that's now the fourth consecutive week that an EPL match has drawn more than 1 million viewers. And I think, Kartik, I think part of it is timing in terms of some big matches on um, for the past few weeks, but also the weather. I mean, kind of the the winter weather, kind of uh, people kind of probably staying indoors more, um, more, more often and watching some great television. And uh, for the Premier League, I think it's a great uh, great timing. And, and also, too, probably, Kartik, it's also kind of a, um, from the winter break or lack of a winter break, how much that actually helps uh, the Premier League. And then Kartik, uh, moving on to uh, also Liga MX, uh, they had more than 1.7 million people tuned in to watch uh, Club America against Tigres on Univision last weekend, which is a, a big number. And then following that match, they had 1.55 million people that watched uh, Chivas lose to Club uh, Tijuana. So again, the Saturday night kind of uh, double header there too uh, with uh, Chivas, Guadalajara, and Club America uh, bringing in some big numbers for um, for Univision and Univision Deportes. Yeah, and I think MLS must be looking at the TV ratings for Zolos, one of those games you mentioned was Club Tijuana game, uh, the game against Chivas, and thinking they can put it potentially put a team in San Diego, which is a small TV market, 28th largest TV market, and maybe some of those fans are in San Diego and they might watch an MLS team there. Uh, I am dubious about MLS or even NASL or USL going to San Diego, even though it looks like all three leagues are making a play at the market because I think, and this goes back to people who aren't tracking television ratings and realize how popular League MX is in this country. There are a lot of English language speaking soccer fans, gringos, if you will, in San Diego who follow Zolos because they're right across the border and even hop the border now and then to go, go see a match. It's much easier if you're an American to cross the border. You're a Mexican. So um, they, um, they they have a following, and I don't care what uh, local team you put in San Diego in NASL or USL in the minor league or, or even in MLS, they're probably not going to be the same quality as uh, Club Tijuana, which also has had a knack of attracting American U.S. national team players the last few years. So uh, I'm, I'm always fascinated by the ratings that Club Tijuana gets, and I think that they've got a, uh, a big following. We talked in the past about we've gotten questions about English language on American television for Liga MX. I think if you do that, that club might be the driver more than Chivas in America, which are the drivers on Spanish-language television. And it looks like MLS is probably going to go into San Diego in terms of at least the developments in the past week or so. But San Diego, San Diego reminds me a little bit of Miami, Kartik, in terms of you've got a large population, um, there's no soccer team, um, a lot of them are English-language soccer fans, but just putting a team, an MLS team, in Miami is not going to guarantee you success. Uh, I have to tell you, our, um, our former colleague here at World Soccer Talk, Richard Farley, is from San Diego and has lived in Miami and, and says Miami is probably the second-worst market in the country to put an MLS team. He thinks San Diego is even worse. Uh, as the same, same things as Miami, but less people and less kind of uh, passion for the sport – Maybe not less passion for the sport. And then there's this factor that there is a high-level professional team right across the border. 
right? In my, if you if you're in Miami, uh, you have to um, fly to Cancun or fly to Mexico City or, or, or drive to Orlando if you believe MLS is at that level. Um, Orlando's not very far, but still, uh, San Diego has a team 20 miles away. They play right across the border. So um, he, Richard has told me he's not as high on San Diego as everyone else's. And I, I've always said that I think San Diego has uh, just the, the – it's the kind of market that unless you have the game at a really mature level in this country, you don't go into it. It's the same way I feel about the Miami-Fort Lauderdale market. I think um, MLS is better off uh, looking at uh, a return to the Tampa Bay market, Raleigh-Durham. Nashville, some of the places that they've, St. Louis for sure, that they've got on their list right now uh, before tackling those and uh, before tackling San Diego, before tackling Miami, Fort Lauderdale again, although it seems they're determined to do that, and tackling Detroit, which is again a large market where there are a lot of European soccer fans and the ambiance and experience of an NPSL team in Detroit City, which is um, supporter run and owned. Uh, probably trumps the kind of plastic atmosphere of MLS. It's that kind of city. So I think in Detroit, people are either watching uh, the Premier League uh, on, on television or they're going to an NPSL game. I don't know that MLS is, is going to be appealing to that market. But we'll see. And we mentioned earlier, we talked about the, the Bundesliga, the Friday night game, which is the Freiburg uh, Bayern Munich game, which actually I, I enjoyed watching that one, Kartik, for another, re- another reason too, is because it's a, a small, intimate ground. It looked like a kind of an older um, Premier League ground or a, a kind of a championship ground. The atmosphere was really good. The, the crowd was, was uh, as, as, as normal in the Bundesliga, really loud and, and passionate and uh, banners and fans jumping up and down and I mean, kind of, um, uh, kind of st- standing room only type of thing. I enjoyed watching the game. Unfortunately, the TV viewing numbers uh, didn't correlate. The TV viewing numbers for the Freiburg uh, Bayern Munich game uh, had 54,000 viewers. When we just talked about all these millions that uh, the Premier League and uh, Liga MX got, uh, that's unfortunate. And, and it was Kate Abdo's Bundesliga debut, as, as we mentioned earlier. Um, the issue, I, I think, and, and this is actually the, the worst Friday number for the Bundesliga on Fox since September, which was uh, Cologne against Freiburg. And uh, when it's Bayern Munich, you would think that the numbers would, would be much greater. My issue is that, and this goes, this, this goes way back, but my issue is still that Fox Sports doesn't promote their coverage. Within Fox Sports, if you watch FS1, FS2 during the week, which if you're a soccer fan, hardcore soccer fan, you're probably not watching FS1 or FS2 anyway during the week because there's no soccer games on. But there's um, the promos that you only see on those channels or on social media. You're not going to see ads elsewhere. You're not going to see any kind of uh, interviews or anything else other than than that. So it's um, sad news, unfortunately, for uh, the Bundesliga in terms of just, I think to me at least, Fox Sports kind of letting them down in terms of uh, promoting the league, uh, which is an entertaining need to watch. I, I, I enjoy watching the games uh, when they're on. I, I wonder if you show more games at Freiburg or at Darmstadt. Darmstadt's the other um, club that has that, um, and, and they uh, will see if they stay up this year. They stayed up last season. They, were, they got off to a good start last season and, and held on. Uh, if that would drive more viewership, because uh, as I've written at worldsoccertalk.com about MLS, Major League Soccer has finally figured out after 20 years, although they didn't have these really great atmospheres until Toronto came into the league in 2007. But um, they've they've, uh, figured out in 2017 that you want to highlight Seattle, Portland, Orlando, Kansas City more than you want to highlight Chicago, D.C., Dallas, and um, 
and, and New England, even though the latter four markets I mentioned are all larger and much larger than the previous four, the former four I mentioned. But they're doing it based on atmosphere and ambiance. Uh, Dallas had the best team in the league last year. They're on national TV only twice, so, uh, whereas Portland, uh, who did not have the best team in the league last year on national TV, something like 15 times. So that's um, that's something maybe Fox wants to explore with Bundesliga. The better atmospheres are always uh, Dortmund and Bayern just because they have so many fans, those two clubs. Um, and I saw a, a study of uh, fans in Germany where I think 30 or 35 percent of First division fans, something like that, support one of those two clubs, which is very hmm. interesting. Um, I didn't realize that it was that that big. And then you know, Schalke has got a lot of fans, but they're at, the stadium atmosphere isn't quite the same. But then the smaller grounds, I think Freiburg is up there. I would put Darmstadt up there among. Um, you know, Eintracht kind of has a nice. Not, not, nice following, particularly when they play away from home. I, and then I would put Hamburg and Leverkusen in that category. Maybe you want to avoid showing games that aren't at those venues, the venues I just listed. Yeah, I, I still think it's it's just Fox's lack of promotion. I mean, I mean, it's one of those things that, um, to, to me at least, the Bundesliga games. I think I think I've never I've never turned into a, uh, turned on to a Bundesliga game and and then kind of been disappointed by the atmosphere. To me, it always. Uh, exceeds. Yeah, it's true. They're all good. We're, it's all relative. We're talking right, about right. I mean, I mean, Freiburg was better than than other stadiums, which is saying a lot. But uh, but that's the thing. If nobody knows that Bayern Munich is playing on a Friday, you I mean who's going to tune in? And, and this is a close race. This is a close title race. I mean, it's uh, it's. I'll those... give you an example. There was a hockey game last night uh, on uh, on on NBC. I'm flipping channels. And they are already advertising during the hockey game for Arsenal-Chelsea in two weeks. Wow. A Premier League match. Is it, I think it's two weeks from now or yeah. perhaps it's next Yeah, February week. 4th. Uh, yes. Yeah, right. And it's Arsenal-Chelsea just in the corner. Uh, Fox never does that. They never do that with any soccer property. Yeah. Leveraging all their other uh, mainstream American sports. Now, I, I get that there's more crossover between hockey fans and soccer fans than there is between American football fans or NASCAR fans or whatever else Fox is showing these days, baseball, than there is uh, soccer. But they don't even make the effort. I, I mean, I get that um, NHL and Premier League kind of go hand in hand. There are a lot of, there's a higher percentage of NHL fans that follow the Premier League than percentage of NFL fans or college football fans, stuff Fox shows. But they don't even make the effort, is my point. Mm -hmm. The other thing, I think a big difference with NBC Sports, too, is that, uh, I mean, if I'm visiting, I don't know, the BBC website or whatever websites I go to on a, on a normal daily basis, uh, every once in a while I will see NBC ads there. Or even on YouTube, sometimes I'll see NBC ads for upcoming games. And that's something that Fox, I haven't seen that done in, in years. They used to do that, where they used to advertise on other sites. Um, I think Fox kind of thinks, okay, within the Fox universe, uh, everyone lives within that and watches, you mean NBA or NASCAR or uh, you mean UFC? And then if they're watching Fox, then they're, they're going to know that there's uh, FA Cup games this, on this weekend. Uh, and for me personally, I haven't seen. I, I don't watch UFC. I don't watch NASCAR. I haven't seen any Fox promos for any of the FA Cup games coming up this weekend. And I think if you ask the average Premier League fan. And I have to think about that too. If you ask an average Premier League fan, which are, what, what FA Cup games are coming up this weekend? I mean, here we are Thursday, a couple of days away from it, uh, actually a day away from it. Uh, the awareness level is probably way, way low just because, yes, if your team, say, uh, well, Swansea's out, but Manchester City's playing, you're probably going to look at the schedule and see, okay, 
where, where they're playing, but but that doesn't help the people that. that but this is part in. of it. This is this is part of the League Cup. You you kicked it off at the beginning of the show. The League Cup FA v FA Cup argument. Now this doesn't apply in in, in the UK. Doesn't apply in most of the world. But here in the United States, the, the level of promotion that BN Sport give the League Cup versus what Fox gives the FA Cup is it's night and day. Mm-hmm. Uh, BN. I, I, and it's because maybe BN has no other English uh, soccer properties and they need to somehow get those fans engaged in their, in their, uh, their programs, the Express and, and, and the network. Uh, and they have a lot of talent like Kate Murray and, and Gary Bailey uh, that understand uh, English football. But, um, boy, do they promote uh, wh- whether or not uh, uh, you, you like BN or not, and, and certainly they're not in many homes, but... Uh, as compared to the Fox networks, but they promote the League Cup big time uh, while they're, sh- while they're um, um, showing other, other soccer properties or even now college sports with Conference USA. Um, they, are, um, they go all out on it in terms of just making people aware that they have the property, mm-hmm. and Fox doesn't with right. the FA Cup. Yeah, and I had to remind myself, I had to look at the schedule for this weekend. I mean, there's some big games coming up. There's uh, Liverpool against Wolves. There's Derby against Leicester, uh, Chelsea against Brentford, Spurs against Wickham Wanderers. Uh, you got Southampton. Yeah, I didn't even realize Chelsea was playing Brentford. Maybe that's my fault, but that's a local derby. Those right, clubs are right, exactly. Two, apart, two or three miles apart. Yeah, Southampton against Arsenal, uh, so on and so forth. So there are, there are some big games coming up. But again, if nobody knows about them, um, you actively have to have to seek out the information, uh, which for the hardcore fans is okay, but the, you're going to get lower numbers in terms of the viewing numbers. But... Uh, maybe that's another topic for another day. Let, let's round up the TV ratings, Kartik, but just, uh, I just want to mention that so we had 103,000 people that watched the uh, Leverkusen against uh, Hertha Berlin match, the one that you, you mentioned uh, from this past Sunday, and that's FS1 plus Fox Deportes combined, and that's a Chicharito number. You mean so, you mean whenever Chicharito, Chicharito plays or his team plays, you're going to get big numbers, and, and even that number's not that great either. And last but not least, last week we spoke about the Man United-Liverpool match in the Premier League, and we were waiting on the NBC number, the over-the-air number. So the over-the-air number plus the NBCSN combined for that Sunday game, uh, it was 1.32 million. And uh, for the NBC broadcast, it was the, just, just the second half. So if that had been the full game plus the NBCSN, I mean, that would have been a monster number, but still... 1.32 million, which is pretty decent. Moving on, Kartik, to our next, next segment, which is listener mailbag. We've got a couple of questions that came in or comments. Uh, the first is from somebody named uh, Thomas Cope, one of our listeners, and he sent this in through email. And he says, uh, I've been enjoying the media-focused po- podcast. Thank you for broadcasting them. I think you guys are going to address this soon, but the well-moderated highlight show is so important to viewership and following a league this is a weakness of Major League Soccer. Highlights are available online, but there's no weekly highlight show. I even have, have a team, the Colorado Rapids. I watch their games most weeks, either live in the stadium or uh, via local broadcast. But I have little sense of what's going on league-wide. More than a weekly game, which may or may not be good, I need a highlight show. Uh, by the way, same for the Bundesliga, Serie A, or any league that wants to start uh, start start getting into it or start, uh, start me getting into it. Once I, kn- once I know the narrative and characters, then I might start watching games. Kartik, yeah, your thoughts I, I on completely that? agree. 100% agree. In fact, when I was at the NASL, we pushed this. I uh, was actually going to pop in the DVR 
um, the Gold TV NASL magazine shows we had done that were hosted by uh, Andres Cordero and Juan Arango uh, a couple of years ago. And I think it was, well, George Metalis was on it, who's now at BN. Oh, Dre is obviously at BN also. Uh, it, was, uh, it was our idea. Now, again, it was a lower division. It was a minor league. It didn't really catch on. But it was our, our idea. David Downs was our commissioner, former uh, ABC Sports executive, was you build the context of the league and the characters uh, by showing a magazine program before you show live games. And um, I believe that the bumper programming that NBC shows around the Premier League, even though I've had my critiques about the bumper programming, but they're four years into showing the league now. Year one, it was just fantastic. It was a revelation. Has really increased the viewership and interest in that league. MLS has not had those programs since uh, I remember MLS Extra Time in the early days on ESPN2 when ESPN2 was kind of still this network showed all this other stuff, extraneous, uh, like NASCAR tonight and NFL tonight and all this stuff. Uh, they had that show with Rob Stone that lasted like half a season or a season. And then they had uh, a show that Sean Wheelock hosted on Fox soccer channel that lasted like a year. Uh, that was Sean Wheelock and Harksy, right? And John mm -hmm. Harks yep. lasted like a year. And then they pulled the plug on that. And that was a soccer channel. Um, so there just isn't – I don't know what the commitment is to this from MLS. Now they're pushing people towards digital. Uh, Russ Thaler does a pretty decent show, uh, former uh, NBC hockey and, and, and uh, MLS announcer. Uh, Russ uh, Thaler does a pretty good uh, uh, roundup show on MLSsoccer.com uh, and, and does these, these video features a couple times a week. Uh, which are really kind of deep, deep drills into the league. But I don't think anyone's watching that, or is, a lot of people aren't even aware it's out there. So right. um, they, need to get a, they need to have some sort of highlight show on, on, uh, on uh, ESPN or Fox. And here's the other thing that I would point out. Uh, ESPN FC does show a lot of MLS highlights, particularly on Sunday nights. They'll make sure that uh, Alejandro Moreno is in the studio. Uh, there's, they started out showing far more, when they started that show four years ago, far more MLS highlights than they do now. I think they've realized that the driver of interest, even in that show, with its, with its small ratings, are uh, European topics. Mostly Premier League, but they talk about La Liga a lot, and they talk about the Bundesliga a lot, and they always have Gab Marcotti on to talk about Italy. So um, maybe there just isn't the market for this. I, I don't know. I, I seem to think it's important for the league in building context in, in the general sense, but I, ESPN has tried it. Fox has tried it, and they both abandoned it. And um, I don't know. Maybe it's different now because you have so many new teams. You have teams that are coming up from the lower divisions that had a following, Minnesota, Orlando, et cetera, that might maybe drive, will drive some kind of general interest in the rest of the league. I do have to say from my informal survey of Orlando fans, though, that um, they have no interest in the rest of MLS. They, they tend to look down on the league. Mm -hmm. think, you know, we, we're this great market. We're this great team. We have all this interest. Um, MLS is over. Let's go watch the, uh, the Liverpool-Everton game, right? <laughs> that's, right? That's their attitude in Orlando. I don't know if it's that way in, in, in Seattle or Minnesota. Um, I tend to think it's kind of that way in Portland. Uh, I, I'm not 100% sure. But uh, I think there's just also, like, even where MLS is popular, a snobbiness, snobbishness about the rest of the league where they're just not interested in uh, uh, watching other games from the league. Uh, two things about that, too. I mean, one is that MLS needs it, definitely. I think it's, um, even if the ratings aren't that good, I think it's, it almost needs to be Major League Soccer or IMG or somebody's producing this and making it available to, to Fox and, and ESPN and, and Univision. 
but the second point is, is more importantly, is that uh, also international expansion. So for 2016, MLS um, probably made uh, de definitely made their best uh, impact on on globally in terms of um, having Major League Soccer played on more channels uh, worldwide than ever before. They haven't released the, the, the actual viewing numbers, but from a global perspective, it's important to kind of, I mean, this is good uh, matches to be shown. Like in UK, for example, on, on Saturday nights, when there's no other soccer on, Sky Sports shows uh, MLS games, which is why last season a lot of the uh, NYC FC games were shown uh, kind of like at 2 o'clock uh, US time, Eastern, Eastern time. It was like, what, 7 o'clock uh, UK time, so prime time in the UK. But that's the thing that's still missing is that um, whether it's Major League Soccer or IMG, somebody needs to produce kind of a well-produced highlight package and, and then make that available to, to the U.S. to cultivate and grow the audience, but internationally too, where internationally they want to learn about these, these players and learn about the teams. And we've seen this contact before, and we, we've mentioned this on air before, is that the Premier League, one of the secrets to the success of the Premier League in the United States Yes, there were many factors, but the Premier League preview show and the Premier League review show on Fox um, was dynamite. It was one of those things you could watch. If, even if you had an hour to, to spare, you would watch that and catch up on all the matches. And that's something that, that's missing on, on the English language side on MLS. Um, one more thing, Kartik. So the, the, um, the question was about, um, from Thomas, was also talking about the Bundesliga and Serie A. Bundesliga does actually have a uh, highlights package that's a review show that's on Fox. The challenge with that on Fox Sports, the challenge is it's that... finding it. Finding it, because it's at different times. They use it as filler, kind of when there's no programming on. I've watched it. It's really there good. Are, there are really good Bundesliga magazine programs on Fox that they just kind of show randomly, too, right. that if I stumble upon them, I'm like, this is good stuff. This is yeah. better. This is maybe even better context-building stuff than the Premier League. Uh, puts out Premier League has a Premier League World, which uh, mm -hmm. uh, they go kind of behind the scenes and and do some things outside the box. But as far as like telling stories about the league currently, I really like the Bundesliga magazine programs better than the Premier League, the ones Premier League Productions puts out. But it, you can never find them. And Fox does show them. They yeah. just show them at like random times. Sometimes it's on FS2. Sometimes it's on F FS Plus. Um, sometimes it's on Fox One, Fox Sports One. Sometimes it's 2 a.m. Sometimes it's uh, in the middle of the afternoon, 4 p.m., and yeah. your time that you can DVR it. So I, I don't know. They're not, they're not consistent in that. And, um, and, and, and that's my, my chief complaint with Fox Sports as far as the Bundesliga is that they're just using it as filler, or it seems that they're using it as filler. So whether it's, I mean, if FS1 is filled with um, NASCAR, then they'll put the Bundesliga on FS2, and they'll put in kind of the highlights package show whenever there's space. It's not there's basically dead air. So rather than show dead air, let's let's put the uh, the Bundesliga package. They don't seem to be really embraced uh, with the Bundesliga unless it's a over the air game. You mean kind of uh, Dortmund against uh, Bayern Munich or something or something like that, or Christian Pulisic. Uh, other than that, they seem to check out. But let's move on, Kartik. The next question is from uh, Sunny Sokal, Rob twenty five on Twitter. He says, last year you posted an article on the top U.S. TV markets that, that watched uh, the Premier League uh, on worldsoccertalk.com. I think most were on the East Coast for obvious reasons. Do you happen to know uh, which are the top U.S. markets that get the highest ratings for Liga MX? Uh, it would have to be everywhere since games get primetime slots. 
And, uh, and Rob, I went ahead and asked uh, Univision to see if they could provide this uh, information, and uh, they're looking into it. So fingers crossed, hopefully we'll, we'll get those, uh, those numbers and to see which are the biggest cities in the U.S. that watch uh, League MX. And uh, if we do get that data, I'll be sure to post that on worldsoccertalk.com. And in contact, if any, anyone has any questions, they can contact us um, through questions or comments or feedback, and we'll read them out on air. Email is web at worldsoccertalk.com. Twitter is uh, wsoccertalk. And then Facebook is facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. Kartik, let's move on to our featured topic of the week, and that is talking about a, a new study that was uh, released uh, this week. It's a discussion about uh, a topic called We Know the Digital Soccer Fan. And it's from a company called Gilt Edge Soccer Marketing that's based in the U.S., and uh, they put, put together this report. Uh, they interviewed uh, uh, thousands of American soccer consumers in this past October. And uh, what are some of the key findings and observations that uh, you found in this report? Um, well, there was a lot here, right? And um, Guilt Edge Marketing uh, has done some um, interesting things in the past, including these market rankings, which, by the way, San Diego, since we talked about San Diego earlier, San Diego fans are citing as, as a reason that they're a top 10 market, uh, even though it's a much smaller media market than, than a lot of the other places competing for MLS teams currently, including Sacramento, which has an established USL team that's looking to move up. Um, bigger TV markets. Uh, but this is interesting. Soccer fans watch 72% of their live games on TV compared to 48% on the computer and 33% on mobile. Now, I'm sure that number is shifting, but it's maybe not shifting as quickly as some of us thought it was. That I found very interesting. 48% watch the uh, majority of the match live on TV. I honestly thought this number was much lower, was going to be much lower. Uh, I, I anticipate it'll continue to fall in, in, in coming years, but that means half the consumers are still uh, in this, this age of technology and all these other options, uh, uh, iPhones and Androids and, and uh, DVRs and, and uh, uh, all these other services. They're still sitting at the published time. Um, remember, we used to get the TV guide and we would look and say, oh, OK, they're showing the, uh, this game at this time on this channel. Um, and they're sitting down and watching the game at that time. Almost half the viewers. That, mm -hmm. I, that really surprised me. Um, 1.5 million soccer subscribers uh, to Reddit, subscribers to soccer Reddit, subreds. Um, hey, Carter. And, and just go to, going back just, just to uh, watching television on soccer, uh, watching soccer on television. Um, I mean, for me, it's the appointment setting time. So when I look at the calendar, I mean, the schedule for the weekend, and for me personally, being a Swansea City fan, if I see Swansea City's playing in you know, Liverpool, I will say, okay, 7.30, well, actually, 7 o'clock, I'll probably tune in, and I'll sit down, and I'll watch this, and I'll get my cup of tea, and I'll, I'll to me, that's my time. That's my alone time to kind of watch this match, and and for the most part, the season kind of be depressed and, and be kind of like just painful for watching this, but for once in my lifetime this season, thankfully, they won. But, but I think that's, that's the same thing for a lot of viewers, too, is that, um, I mean, we all work hard during the week, and whether it's at school or at work uh, or with our families. And it is, it is a special time to kind of sit down. So, so in some ways, I'm not surprised in that, I mean, there's such a large percentage of people that will tune in to those live games on TV. Um, and I think for me, at least, and I'm not sure if this is like it kind of correlates with the numbers, too, if I'm watching a game on a computer or watching it on mobile, 
if I'm watching it on a computer, it's probably a game that's not as important to me, but I will watch it. But I might be doing, I might be multitasking. I might be working on something else at the same time and have the game on in the background or, um, you know, I mean, be on Twitter at the same time or something like that. Um, so depending on what the game is, I will be in a different state of mind. Um, but again, the, the data is really interesting. And I think it's really, um, it's a good signal for television in terms of NBC or Univision or whoever it is, is that people will sit down and watch games on TV on that HD experience, on a big screen, flat screen, whatever it may be. But it's a good sign, I think, for soccer um, in the U.S. Yeah, um, so that that I find interesting. I found this discussion of 1.5 million subscribers to Reddit fascinating because Reddit has become the hub uh, of kind of soccer discussion it, it, it seems like uh, in-depth soccer discussion, usurping all of the um, usurping all of the um, previous sort of um, fan sites and message boards and big soccer and all of these things that we used to use to drive kind of long-form discussions and start rumors, quite frankly. Um, the other thing I found interesting was that there was a, a number, and I, I, I'm sorry I didn't pull it up, that showed that more people were interacting on Facebook than on Twitter or uh, other social media platforms during the game, during games. That, I think, might be true. I'm not on Facebook very much. I have to admit that. I'm more of a Twitter guy. But during the week, in between games, I, I, Twitter is a much bigger driver of, uh, of discussion in soccer than, than, than Facebook is. Um, at least among people who are who are in the game and in and around the game, uh, not casual fans. Um, yeah, and Kajik, so so Facebook. So basically, it said that kind of Generation Y, which is millennials, so that um, Facebook was the number one. For oh, them. that's right. It was a genera- It was a generational thing. That's right. Because I think among uh, millennials and and um, uh, people who are Generation X, Twitter is is really the driver. I mean, I've even been told now that. Um, uh, generation Y is shifting towards Instagram. It's a social media platform than uh, yeah. rather than uh, uh, Facebook. And, and I was stunned. I don't know what you do with Instagram other than post pictures, but I guess that's uh, that's that generation. Um, now, clearly, uh, Twitter is the uh, is the favorite of the current president of the United States. <laughs> I might drive a renaissance in, in Twitter. I think that there are a lot of people who are who are on Twitter. Uh, 24/7 just to see what Donald Trump says. So that's. Um, I, th- I think I think it's different things though for different people. Though. So like so some people kind of like the social aspect of Facebook and being able to talk about soccer there. I mean, you probably know people, Kartik, and I do that live on Facebook. They're on Facebook the whole time. If not on desktop, they they definitely got it on their mobile phone. Uh, you got some that are on YouTube. So so my kids, uh, my teens are on YouTube all the time watching content that through there. So that was something that's uh, interesting. And, and then, of course, yeah, you've got um, Twitter, but it has a whole d- a different dynamic in terms of kind of, you mean, uh, in terms of soccer fans there. Uh, Reddit is kind of something completely different again, too. So so I think it's it's almost communities. You have different communities of different people. Yes, there's some overlap, but I think each person kind of finds the community that's kind of a, a better fit for them and will kind of keep on going back to those sites, different types of sites. But, but Reddit's definitely making an impact. And, and a lot of it, too, is not just U.S. A lot of it is international. Um, on some of the subreddits, you'll see that there's definitely a heavy um, 
overseas uh, influence too. A lot of it's from the UK, especially on the soccer side. And in Kartik, um, also some of the other interesting observations from the report is, uh, and this one is this one upsets me. But anyway, basically, soccer fans. Um, it basically talks about uh, pirate pirate streams, and it upsets me because uh, it's one of those things that there's a lot of people still that are watching uh, illegal streams of soccer games, and uh, their excuse is that they can't that their local cable uh, channel doesn't have the, the the channel that they want to watch to to watch those games. My answer is okay. At this point in time, almost every single game in every single league that you can imagine, almost. Uh, is available um, through streaming, legal streaming, whether it's Sling TV, PlayStation View, DirecTV Now, uh, Yip TV, uh, Fubo TV. I mean, there's so many different providers that if you really want to watch soccer, in uh, cost-effectively, you can watch, I mean, for like 10 bucks a month or less, you can watch tons of soccer. So it's a generational thing, though, too, Kartik, because... Um, it said that 62% of pirate, pirate streamers are from Generation Y, which would be uh, millennials. Um, and it also mentions that soccer fans uh, seek out illegal streams because they don't have access to those games on their cable system, uh, which is true, but there are other alternatives. I think part of it, to me at least, is that it's, it's a, a culture thing where um, millennials especially, and, and other age groups too, but are used to, to go into illegal streams and kind of think that as, uh, as the norm, uh, even though there's issues with I mean, malware, pop-up ads. Um, I mean, there's a lot of privacy issues and, and kind of security concerns from people using those illegal streams where it could endanger your computer uh, or yourself. But it is a millennial thing, uh, definitely more than, more than most. Um, and also, I think an interesting thing that came out of this report uh, is that soccer fans who do watch illegal streams, they're 46% more likely to be hardcore fans compared to non-pirate streamers. Um, and also that these um, pirate streamers uh, support 33% more teams than non-pirate streamers. So, so to me, it says, that, okay, the more soccer you watch or have access to, the more likely you, you'll be able to actually watch more games, uh, support more teams, and enjoy the sport more. Uh, and I have no problem with that side of things, but I, I would just wish that people would use legal streams because by using illegal streams, you're putting money into the pockets of uh, pirates, and that money's not flowing back into the game. So people overseas right. are getting rich off this. And meanwhile, the TV companies are spending billions uh, to get the TV rights and streaming rights are losing out on that. So that's hurting them. Uh, and eventually, especially if it's a generational thing, uh, as the millennials get older, this could really hurt soccer in terms of uh, coverage because if companies are not making money from it, uh, they're less likely to be able to actually show a lot of these games uh, to us. But uh, Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And I think another massive takeaway from this study was that 63% of soccer fans play soccer video games every week. There's a 64% increase in likelihood of UEFA Champions League uh, fandom for gamers, people who play video games, over non-gamers. And um, I think it's, it's incredible the um, impact FIFA in particular, FIFA, which I don't play, by the way, um, has had on um, just people I talk to, Generation Wires, Generation... Uh, 
Xers and uh, millennials in driving their interest in the sport and pushing them towards um, certain European clubs and interest in certain players it's it's pretty pretty amazing now um i do play video games constantly i'm playing football manager I'm, I'm, it's just uh playing football manager before we we recorded this podcast this morning i mean i play football manager every day basically and have for 15 years um i have to say people people always ask me how do you know so much about this sport i have to say so much of my knowledge derives from that that game from the database that sports interactive has put together and i i'm guessing i'm not alone I'm, among people who cover soccer or work in soccer in this country that have learned so much about players from playing football manager because it's so detailed and so well done. Um, gaming is, is uh, part of the sport and is, yeah. uh, uh, is uh, I think, uh, to be perfectly honest with you, and maybe I should play FIFA. I mean, I'm just not a gamer. I don't like to play games with hand-eye coordination. I like to play strategy mm-hmm. um, games. And I'll admit, I don't play any other video games, nothing, none of the solitaire stuff that you see people play on their, their iPads or uh, uh, iPhones. I play, I tried playing Bridge Constructor a few times in SimCity, maybe every once a year. But um, I play Football Manager constantly. I, I, I seem to think it's something that you need to do if you're in the sport. Um, strangely enough. That, that may seem like an odd opinion and a very... Uh, uh, unfashionable opinion, but I really have come to that conclusion. I feel if I don't play football manager for a couple months, and there are periods where I don't play it for a couple months because I've got other things going on, that my um, my understanding of the sport as a whole and um, potential attributes of players, my, my sharpness, if you will, uh, on that, it, it disappears. Wow. And, and that might be a crazy thought, but really, That's... I mean, I think it's, it's as valuable as reading uh, content constantly on the internet. Yeah. That's, that's, that's great. If not more valuable. That's a great endorsement for Football Manager, Kartik. Um, Sports Interactive will be. Well, it could be for FIFA. It could be for <laughs> FIFA also. I just don't play FIFA. No, no, I no, understand no. FIFA has got um, levels of detail that yeah. it didn't have when I used to play it 10 years ago. But yeah. uh, I, it could be for both. And I, and I think it's like different strokes for different folks. There's different types of games, strategy games, video games, and, and, and other types of games too that uh, people get into. I, I don't think they need to, but I definitely think that they can uh, appreciate. Uh, I don't know. It, it, I, I think it's it's a nice uh, detour. I mean, it, it, instead of I mean, whether it's midweek or taking a break from watching soccer uh, to actually play it, whether it's uh, Subudio, which I've been getting into the last few few months, actually playing in a local league uh, or playing Football Manager or FIFA, whatever it may be, it's 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 a nice escape and it, it is actually a lot of fun. I do enjoy it. Um, the uh, just just let listeners know to Kartik. So if they do want to read this report, and there's a lot more detail in this, it's a free report. It is available if you go to guiltedgesoccer.com, uh, and then you'll find a link to it. You just have to put in, I think, your name and email address, and then they'll they'll email you the, uh, the actual report. But highly recommended, and, and actually, I think it's um, enlightening in terms of um, some of the observations that are made. Some of the things, yes, I think all of us within the soccer universe kind of um, know, um, but sometimes it's good to get an outside opinion in terms of, is this, is this really what's happening? Um, but again, I, I do recommend that listeners uh, pick that up uh, and, and take a look at it, because there's lots of, a lot of uh, juicy details in there. Kartik, before we go, I wanted to ask you, uh, where can listeners find you on the internet? KKFLA737 at Twitter is the uh, easiest way and probably on some Reddit, on uh, subreddit, some, some, some subreddit related to the sport. Okay. And Facebook now and again. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Every now and again. <laughs> 
All right. Well, thank you for listening. Uh, you can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Uh, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And be sure to send us your feedback or questions so we can read them out on air. Uh, this weekend, we've got some uh, FA Cup matches. We've got uh, Africa Cup of Nations. I think there's two games on Saturday, two games on Sunday. So there's uh, eight teams left, not four. And um, and I think uh, there's going to be a, a ton of football, I'm sure. There's uh, Coupe de la France is coming up soon with uh, PSG against Monaco. There's so much stuff uh, going on. So check out worldsoccertalk.com. We've got all the schedules for all the games coming up, and uh, that way you don't miss out. And Kartik, over to you, sir. Enjoy your football. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.